Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony, a news magazine show featuring human interest, in the spotlight, movers and shakers, and the news and happening that affects all of us in and out of the ACB community. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Sunday Edition. I'm your host, Anthony Corona, and we've got a great show for you today. I don't know what it is, but it seems that Sunday rolls around much quicker from Friday than, let's say, Wednesday to Friday for the weekend. But I'm so glad to be here, and I have a great show planned. Later on, we will be speaking with Artist Basin about her amazing journey and her uh, work around membership for our beloved organization. But first, I'd like to welcome Clark Rockfell and JoLynn Bailey-Page. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Hello, Anthony. So we're going to hit a couple of topics today, but um, as I stated in the blurb, you guys are one of those teams behind the scenes that we don't really hear too much about as members, but you're doing a lot of work together behind the scenes. You want to give us a little idea of what you guys have been working on lately? Hmm. Clark? Clark and Claire are the team that you usually hear uh, as, a, as a pair, twin together as our advocacy um, specialists. And I um, have become involved, you know, I work with Clark a little bit more now because we're both interested in the national parks. I do some work for the Audio Description Project and um, other related organizations. And I think of Clark, um, not only as a, a, an athlete, but also as our ECB explorer in the parks. So he's sort of um, out there testing, exploring, encountering bears and other animals and reporting back. But I would say most of our work right now is, has been um, where we intersect with, with um, involvement with the parks. But yeah, I also, I think- always, always keep an ear open, Clark, for, for everything else you do, so. Clark yeah, is our I, Clark without a Lewis. <laughs> yes, that is true. That is true. I, I do have a Lewis, although my wife's name is Greta, and we are the, the pair that does the adventuring and the exploring. Um, so it, although at ACB, as many folks know, my role is Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, and Joe Lynn uh, works with us on a, a contract basis mainly in grant writing and development. Um, but JoLynn, as she mentioned, we both have a passion for the outdoors and being active. So JoLynn has done some amazing work with audio description, um, you know, accommodations at museums and parks, and yes, working with the Uni Description Project uh, to audio describe brochures for the national parks. And Anthony, I think I know why Sunday rolls around so quickly. And that is because the heat has finally broken. It is sweater weather. Grab oh, your accessories. Yeah. You know, yes. Layer up. I envy on, you. Put on your, you know, just dapper fall outfits and get out there and explore. I love it. 
So we are sort of a triangular point for, for our nation. I'm down here in Miami, as most people know. Clark, you're up right outside of Alexandria, right? Yes, uh, Alexandria, just outside of D.C. and Northern Virginia, where we hold the legislative seminar and D.C. leadership meetings each year. And what's the weather like there right now? Oh, man, it is beautiful. Highs in the 60s, you know, pushing, struggling to get to 70, but never quite making it. And blue skies, sunny, um, and the humidity has broken. Beautiful. So it would be one of those side long uh, right triangles all the way out to the Bay Area of California. Jolyn, what's it like out there now? And, and how are you guys doing out there with the fires? And, and the uh, we, thank you for asking. Um, here in the Bay Area, we have blue skies today. It is probably in the mid 70s, but we are headed up into the uh, 80s. Uh, we've had a heat wave again. It's dry, so please send us your rain. Um, I am a recent transplant from Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill, and I moved here last December, and before that, uh, I lived in the Northern Virginia um, area for 40 years, so I am missing, Clark, those crisp, crisp temperatures and the um, breaking out the, the jackets and scarves and eventually gloves, but it is glorious out here today. Well, your area of California, you get a somewhat um, version of the seasons. Uh, this um, is this is record weather for you guys, though, isn't it? It is. It is. But we do, um, and especially in the Bay Area, we have what's known as marine layer, which is um, the cooling air and very often a fog bank that rolls over the Santa Cruz mountain range um, into onto the peninsula, but also through the Golden Gate and then down the bay. So it's, it's quite spectacular and it's just a natural refrigerant most of the time. But, um, you know, climate change has made a difference. But it so is we, spectacular. As we go into talking about national parks, what is, what is your absolute all-time favorite park memory, uh, place to go, thing that you experienced? And we'll go backwards. We'll start with you, Jolyn. Um, I, although I've been exploring a little bit more now, I would have to say Yosemite in the winter of probably 2012 or 14. I don't remember. We had, my family had just moved from Michigan to California. I mean, I went back east afterward, but my dad was very, um, he loved getting out. He loved taking the family on excursions. And uh, we, his mission was to make sure we went all the way to Canada and all the, all the way down to Southern California on trips to explore different parks. And one winter we uh, rented a space at Yosemite at Wawona Lodge. And we went up with another family and it took what seemed like forever getting through the snow and multiple, multiple chains on the cars breaking. But my memory of being there in the winter was of, of snowflakes that seemed as big as saucers, dinner plates coming down and piling up so quickly. You could almost wow. hear them fall and settle one on top of the other and plowing, you know, just trudging or breaking through piles of snow. And then, then of course, experiencing the, the trees and the, the beautiful um, 
peaks and mountains and, and the valleys of, of the park in winter. We also went in the summer as well to do some camping at Camp Curry. Um, but I would say for me, it was it was magical to be there in the winter. Oh, that sounds beautiful. Yeah. How about you, Clark? I would say my favorite park is the the one I'm going to next. Uh-huh, and, good answer. Yeah, and I don't have any plans. It's just whichever one it happens to be. I've never uh, had a bad park experience, uh, whether it's camping in the, the winter at the south rim of the Grand Canyon and waking up and having our tent covered in snow you know, while mm-hmm. elk are just wandering through the woods uh-huh. or... Uh, geez, traveling, um, you visiting family in Colorado and then road tripping with my parents uh, around Colorado or uh, Nevada to Bryce Ion Canyon, the Hoover Dam. Mm-hmm. But growing up in Annapolis, Maryland, probably the national park that I went to most frequently growing up and always will take friends and visitors who come in to visit from out of town is the Washington Mall. Um, right in the heart of Washington, oh, yeah. D.C. Mm-hmm. And you know, most people don't consider the, the Washington Mall a national park, but it is. It's operated and run by the Park Service. All of the monuments are maintained by the Park Service. Um, so that's, that's probably the one where I've spent most of my time. But here in COVID and the, the pandemic and social distancing, um, we've been trying to visit new parks in our area. So whether that's Prince William National Forest, Shenandoah National Park, finding new trails, and even uh, Great Falls in between Maryland and Virginia oh, and the CNO Canal. Yeah. And Clark, you've done portions of the Appalachian Trail, right? You know, I have. We have never um, backpacked, like camped backwoods camped overnight on the Appalachian Trail, but just due to where we live, um, we do have pretty quick access to the Appalachian Trail, uh, whether that's in and around Shenandoah, uh, up into Western Maryland. Um, The Allegheny and Monongahela National Forests are very close by, and then south of Shenandoah, the George Washington National Forest is close by. And the Appalachian Trail runs through all of those as it traverses from Georgia to Maine. Yeah, I think that's just absolutely stunning. And I've always, you know, bucket list, definitely the Appalachian Trail. For me, when um, when I was eight years old, my uncle um, also had uh, um, my cousin and two cousins, a boy and a girl, and it was me and my sister. And um, they invited my sister and I, we went across the country in a station wagon, um, but a, a, a really nice jacked up station wagon. And we stopped all over the place. And um, I remember uh, obviously the Grand Canyon and so many beautiful, so many beautiful spots that, you know, and camping out overnight and meeting so many different people. The one memory that stands out to me is, you know, I was eight years old, as I said at the time, and and from cartoons, I remember the geysers in Yellowstone in certain cartoons, you know, talking and having, um, you know, conversations with each other or with people in the, you know, in the cartoon. So I was so excited. I wanted to meet the old wise one and ask all kinds of questions. Super. And then it was just water. 
and it was, you know, as I look back now as an adult, oh my God, what a beautiful, you know, what a, what an incredible experience to have, you know, to have been able to have. But I, I went back into that station wagon so let down, like I was going to oh. ask all the questions of the universe and get all the answers. <laughs> but um, I digress. So lately, ACB has been involved um, with the National Park Service in uh, helping to test quality, get some description up. Joanne, can you tell us just a little bit about that? Um, yes. Uh, in 2017, um, ACB was approached by Dr. Brett Oppegard, um at the University of Hawaii. He had been developing with um, cohorts uh, a device, an app called the Unidescription app, which is uh, free and which um, was designed uh, to upload description of um, national park brochures. These brochures that are used by all of our national park sites are called Unigrid brochures because they are, are designed the same, along the same lines. And um, he had been working with the National Park Service to describe the text and images on those brochures so that folks who were blind or had low vision would be able to experience um, the same um, as sighted visitors to the park. So that would be the same starting point for everyone. And ACB began to partner with them through a grant from Google. And we began with California park sites um, and the brochures for those parks. And we, uh, corralled some great ACB volunteers who um, reviewed the descriptions that had been done and then actually went out into the field for quite a number of the sites to test it in the field to see how well the app worked on their devices. And the Unity device, uh, app is now accessible on both iPhone and Android devices. So you just go to your particular app store, download it, it's free, and then you can pull up audio description um, for not only the brochures, but in some cases, uh, the park has gone on to describe other, um, other artifacts, maps, um, tactile elements, etc. So that was the very beginning, and our teams actually tested the uh, brochure, the app for the brochure in Yosemite. They've also done the um, Muir Woods, uh, Fort Point at the base of the Golden Gate Bridge, um, the Maritime Museum in San Francisco. And then uh, as this program expanded, um, we went on to assist in the review and development of audio description with National Park staff for Northeastern sites, some in the Southeast. And um, just this last August, um, developed with park representatives descriptions for several sites on the National Mall in Washington, DC, including Ford's Theater, the new Dwight D. Eisenhower Memorial, Lincoln, Martin Luther King, Junior Memorial, Korean War Vet, Veterans Memorial, Thomas Jefferson, um, and uh, um, several others. So what our members have done was to, to test the descriptions, to make sure the app is working, to make comments on the description. And um, 
now participate in what we have termed descriptive thoughts, which is like a hackathon. And members of the park staff, along with ACB members, um, work together for a very intensive two or three days, it's now up to three, in creating descriptions for these brochures, which will then be uploaded to both websites and to the unit description app so that um, folks you know, can enjoy the same experience um, that sighted, sighted people do. And very often these descriptions are better than, um, you know, frankly, some of the uh, non-described um, experiences that you can encounter in parks. So the next, so I was just going to say our next will be going, our next big push will be uh, in February and we'll be doing um, sites in the Midwest of the United States. So. so Clark, for our members, listeners who want to get out and get moving, especially in this time of COVID where just worrying about socially distancing and being in crowded public places. Can you walk us through what it's like to step into a national park and open up the website or the app? The and, app. Um, That's great. Great idea. Yep. Yeah, Abs absolutely. So, I mean, the beauty of the national park system, I mean, when we think of national parks, right, they, we think of Grand Canyon and Yellowstone and Yosemite all of these vast open expanses. Uh, but there are national parks and national lands all over. So we don't need to plan some big um, vacation or load up, <laughs> load up the Corona family uh, station, station wagon wagon. And, <laughs> and, you know, and, hit, and hit the road for uh, a summer. Although that, that sounds amazing. I'm a little jealous that we never did that growing up. Uh, but you can find national parks, national forests, national monuments close to home. That's um, true. So the first thing that I would su suggest is looking to find something local in your area, um, something that would be easy to get to. Um, that way you don't have to deal with the logistics of travel and lodging during the pandemic. Second, um, once you identify that place, check out their website. Uh, and most of the national parks, they have websites, they have customer service phone numbers, and ask them what sort of accessibility accommodations are available. And it's especially during the pandemic, it's good to call or email uh, because if they have indoor theaters, tours, things like that, um, their programming could be different due to the the pandemic yeah. yeah exactly clark haven't you found too that that without exception park staff are just so excited to share that so that if yes. you, for example yes. ask for the chief um, interpretive officer they they often will pull special you know items from exhibits just just to help the experience, you know, help you along with your experience. But they, they are it's like, like a custom tour, isn't it? it? Yeah, they're like proud parents. And yeah, they oh, good. Want to, yes. They yeah. want to show you everything their park has to mm -hmm. offer. Um, and they want your experience to be as, you know, positive as possible. Um, but as part of this, you know, this prep work, definitely check out the uni description website. 
to see if the park brochure for the space that you plan on visiting has been described. Uh, Jolyn, I was, I guess, shocked to see that um, you know, what I think of just a road here in Northern Virginia, but the George Washington Parkway, Parkway yes, has a described brochure in and, the uni description app. And it's like, hey, I know that spot. And how like, did you find it? Was it helpful to you? Did you? Did you yeah, guess? so I found it. Um, I believe there are two ways to search within the app. You can select whether you want to sort by state or if you want to sort alphabetically. Um, so chances are I sorted by state and then was snooping around Virginia and found the brochure for the George Washington, uh, either Memorial Parkway or National Parkway. Mm -hmm. So once you get the, once you get the app going and you're actually there in the, in the, in the park itself, let's, let's use the, um, the national, um, the, you know, the monuments for yeah, example. The national Mall. Yeah, the National Mall, sorry. Um, yeah. You know, and once you're standing there and, and you've got it open, is it a kind of like a step-by-step, -step, go here, go there, experience this, this is what you'd be looking at? Um, what? How immersive is it once you're in it? Sure. So these are, I, I guess I'll call these like the introductory exactly. brochures. Um, for the parks, the monuments. Uh, so for the National Mall, for example, it will talk about the National Mall kind of in broad strokes and terms um, and talk about the, the different monuments are there, when things were constructed, um, and thing, things of that nature. And the, the beauty of the Uni Description app is that you don't have to be at the mall to look at the brochure for the mall. You don't have to be at uh, Yellowstone to look at the brochure for Yellowstone. Uh, last month, I was looking at the brochure for Yellowstone, just dreaming about visiting Yellowstone. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a great kind of primer to prepare you for your visit and give you that broad overview. Um, there, Jolyn might be able to talk to, about this a little bit better, uh, but several of the brochures have maps and the describers even do their best to kind of give you a, a broad overview and talk about the relationships of where things are to one another yes. on those printed maps as well. Um, uh, for example, um, the new Dwight D. Eisenhower Memorial is, is, is an example of a very small space, very small site. It's um, adjacent to the National Mall. It's on a very small parcel of land, but um, the brochure has a detailed illustration of where the elements, of how the elements, including the statues, relate to one another. And so when we, when I worked with the team for that uh, memorial to develop the description, part of that included exactly what Clark was talking about, how those elements relate to one another. And they did form a triangle. So you can get a picture in your mind's eye of what that's going to be like before you ever go. And um, I think, Clark, do you find that when you're armed with that knowledge before you go, then you, then you can either call someone at the park or you're ready to ask the park people when you get there for additional assistance or what other uh, elements might be available 
exactly tact- if they're tactile elements or um i don't know braille brochures um, Ex- exactly jolyn um it just it helps prepare you um for your experience or for your outing and then once you are on site whether you're speaking with the uh, the park rangers or the park staff you will be better prepared to ask the right questions uh, to be able to see the sites that you want to investigate further or to better understand um, the significance of the the space or your surroundings um, Due to social distancing now, say, for example, when we went, my wife and I went to Great Falls, Mm -hmm. there was a a ranger in a mask. My wife said that he had on a Smokey the Bear mask, which was great. Nice. Um, And he was standing outside the visitor center with a a map and he was just there and available to answer questions, help point people Mm -hmm. in the in the right direction. You know, do you want an, e- an easy hike, a hard hike? Do you want to stay flat along the river? Do you want to go um, up into the woods? So just really helping folks get the, the most out of their day. That is but one you, of my favorite parks, by the way. And if you don't want mm-hmm. to be that close to people right now, you can always, and I guess depending on the, the park that you're at and the, the wireless connectivity, you can always try to pull up Be My Eyes or Ira. Yes, to help right. navigate the parks. Mm-hmm. And I'd like yeah. to throw a challenge out to the listeners now to, you know, even traveling obviously is, is very challenging at this point. We're not having in-person leadership this year and not having an in-person convention, unfortunately. But we all have our own neighborhood par- parks. There are definitely national parks in every city, every state in the country. So I challenge the listeners to... Go onto the website, pick a park, pick something like Yellowstone or um, the Grand Canyon, and then take yourself to one of your local parks. Find a beautiful tree to sit against or a bench, maybe take a nice little packaged lunch and give yourself, you know, the half experience by going through the unit description, but also being out and getting the fresh air and, and giving yourself that, that sensory experience along with and then report back to us. Come back to Sunday edition. Shoot okay, Clark great. an email. Shoot me an email or Jolene an email. Send it to the blog. We'd love to get as many of, of our members out there and just, you know, back into the world in a safe way. Anthony, that's a that's a great point. Um, we know already that people who are blind and low vision have higher rates and risk of chronic health conditions, whether that's diabetes or, um, you know, heart ailments and really being outside and being active are some of the best ways to combat that. Um, So whether it's exploring, I love your idea of just going to your neighborhood park, but doing so with the uni description app and sitting under- I love that, yes. Right? Sitting oh. under a big oak tree and pretending that you're, that you're out, you know, in Sequoia National Park near Joe Lynn, you know, sitting <laughs> under, the, under the General Sherman there. Now, what Clark, a great idea. I have a question for you. Um, well, I'll send the information out, but tell us about once you find a park, are there entrance fees or how do you get there? Do you, what, 
what have you done to access those parks on site when you're finally ready to go? Ooh, what yeah. do you Good question, Jolyn. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, and that's that's a great question because it it does depend on the park and what you want to do at the park, right? Are you entering by car, by bike, or on foot? Um, and the park service has what is called an access pass. Yes. Um, I call it a golden ticket because yeah. <laughs> it just opens up the world. And every, everyone who's disabled, a senior, there are uh, military and veterans passes as well. But it, if you are a senior and or disabled, you, um, you can receive an access pass, which provides free admission to national parks, as well as in most parks, half price camping. Um, and in some cases, even discounts at the camp stores or visitor centers. So it is a, a worthwhile investment. And uh, a shout out to one of the ACB of Virginia members and ACB board member, Doug Powell. Yes, Doug. When we did a trip to the Harper's Ferry um, National Park and uh, historical site, Doug actually had to get a new access pass because he had had his for so long and used it and loved it so well that it was uh, just disintegrating. So the Park Service was able to replace that and give him a new one. I remember that. Now, I if, you, if you want to do that, um, most Parks do issue passes on site. Um, if if they don't, you can get one by mail. That mm -hmm. will work too. Now, for seniors, um, it, there is a fee, but it's it's minimal. It's not it's not bad. But um, also, there is uh, for all United States students in the fourth grade. Yeah, you can get a free pass. For during our times of COVID, you can, if one person has a pass, for example, if you get an access pass, then members of your pod, you know, your socially distanced pod, which may be your family or include friends, if you're traveling one vehicle together, that pass will allow the entire vehicle in vehicle access parks in um, free as well. Mm -hmm. So it's really useful to to reach out and secure that pass. It's very easy to get. Uh, you can go to www.nps.gov and there's a link to uh, find out a little bit more or you can email me or Clark and we can give you more information too. But Clark, I love the idea of, of, of it being a golden ticket. That's great. Yeah. That's a great, uh, a great description of it. And a lot, all this information will also be in the show notes on the podcast page for Sunday edition as well. So you should be, at least it'll be a great jumping off point for you. I, I, I have to mention that yes, a lot of the parks will also offer some sort of guided service um, with, a, with a good amount of planning and you'll get someone. And like Clark had said earlier, these folks are so proud of where they work. They're so proud of being able to give someone that may not have the experience in the same way, you know, as best of as best of an experience of what they're they're guarding, what they're, you know, they're um 
my life blood, life work is. So I definitely suggest everybody, if you are going to head out to a national park, get on those websites, check things out, make that phone call, find out, you know, what's available as far as, you know, site on staff and possibly getting, you know, some guided assistance or at least, you know, a great, um, you know, agenda for the day, so to speak. So I want to switch um, focus a little bit. We had some great tours this year on the virtual convention. Jolene Clark, either one of you chime in. What um what are some of the parks that have some great audio description programming um, well, that you really really stand out? I would imagine Yellowstone has to. The National Mall has to. Yeah, Yellowstone does. Um, I'm actually looking at the website um, at our. Um, audio description project website, which has uploaded our con, you know, our convention proceedings. I think many ACB members listen to uh, audio described tours um, during the convention. And um, some of them that are listed are the, the Holocaust Museum, the White House, Wright Brothers National Memorial Visitor Center, Insect Zoo at the Smithsonian, um, several others and you can use by going on the ACB's website, the audio description project. Um, and those I, are up there now. They're also on, aren't they uh, archived on ACB radio too? Yes, I believe they are. And mm -hmm. and I have to say real quick shout, hands down shout out to um, the Holocaust and, and the White House tours. They're so, so well done. They're so immersive. Um, I found myself, you know, feeling like I was there experiencing those tours. And I have and to was... sh give a shout out to our founder and director of the audio description project, Dr. Joel Snyder, because he uh, was responsible for the content and uh, for the White House tour when it was originally done. So, and he continues to advocate for an updating of that uh, content. So he's and hard at work. Yes, and ADP is working hard um, each year with additional museums to create more art audio described tours. So be sure to check back frequently to the ADP website and see what new museums are being added. That's right. That's right. Awesome. Clark, you're out, you're moving. I, you know, could you tell our listeners some easy when you're out in the park, some easy stuff to get your heart rate going, to get your blood moving, to stimulate all areas of your body. And for folks that may not be as wonderfully active as you are, how can we maximize when we're out there um, giving our body some attention? Absolutely. I think half of it is the hard half is just committing to do it, right? Making that yep. plan and getting into the parks, you know, especially if transportation could be a barrier. How are, how are we going to get there? Um, you know, especially talking about these larger parks. So say, for example, like a Rocky Mountain National Park, um, which is about two hours drive northwest of Denver. So even if you fly into Denver and take the light rail into the city, okay, great. Now, how are you getting to the park? Um, so the hardest part may just be getting there. But once you are there, um, 
it really depends again on on the park that you're in some of especially the larger parks have buses or shuttle services and this is done so that they can try to cut down on the number of vehicles and limit the wear and tear on the park but still move mm-hmm. people around efficiently so that you can get to the sites that you want to visit um Second, I would say is have a comfortable pair of walking shoes, because if you are going (laughs) to a a national park, or even if you were at the ACB convention in Rochester last year, and you're going to visit, um, although it's, I believe, a state park, right, Jolyn, Niagara Falls? It was, yes. Yeah. Um, Chances are there, there will be a fair bit of walking. Um, So make sure that you are prepared with some comfortable shoes, some water. And of course, it's always up to us to stay on top of our own orientation and mobility skills so that we can do so safely, whether using a a cane or a guide dog. And and then honestly, you don't even have to do a whole lot once you're at a park. If there is a, a small walk or hike that you want to do, just give yourself the time to do it in a, a stress-free way and then just enjoy being immersed in nature. And half the times I find it's not actually the how strenuous you push yourself while you're out there, but it's being out in the fresh air. It's being exposed to the elements, really taking the time to take in the sounds and the smells. Yes. Um, and just really experiencing your surroundings. Uh, by the end of the day, whether you did a 10 mile hike or a one mile walk, you're going to be pooped. It's, it's like sensory overload. It is. It's, oh, it's, it's so, it's just so stimulating. Yeah. Yeah. When I was in high school, we had had a guide. Um, and uh, the, the first thing that, they, that she had said was taste everything. Huh? smell it, see it, feel it, mm-hmm. and then have your brain, let your brain tell you what you're sensing, what you're feeling, what you're smelling, what you're seeing, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, wow, that's really good advice. I'm going to use that, you know, across the board. Mm. Clark, you already mentioned water. What are the five essentials to have in your backpack or fanny pack or whatever it is you're going to carry with you when you're out and about? Oh, geez. Five essentials, man. Um, I will say water, snack, cell phone. Um, If you have any allergies or medical conditions, um, whatever you need for that, you know, if you're allergic to bees and EpiPen. Oh, yes. um, And depending on the the undertaking that you're doing, um, you can never go wrong with a small portable first aid kit. Uh, whether it has like an ACE bandage, um, you know, like a, a burn cream, some ibuprofen or Tylenol, um, you know, something like that. And uh, if depending on how big, if this is a backpack and not just a fanny pack, um, <laughs> let's say more water and a rain jacket because you never know. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, good. Good call. Good call. Good, good items. Byron, I definitely will say if you see anybody in the waiting room with a hand raised for JoLynn or Clark, let us know while we're talking. Like we will shift topics a little bit more. 
Clark, tell us what's been going on in uh, in your office with you and Claire. This is probably the busiest you're going to be, at least in the next four or five years, um, oh, but possibly ever in your career. How are things going in Alexandria right now? Yeah, you'd, you'd think with a pandemic that things would slow down or get quiet, but that has been the exact opposite for the ACB national office. And if it's not... Uh, convention programming. It is ensuring how government services and businesses still function and still serve consumers with disabilities and citizens with disabilities. And that also includes how state and local governments administer elections. Um, Anthony, you may, you may have heard that there is a an election <laughs> coming up. We really? A, right? <laughs> You know, in case you've been, uh, again, in that station wagon, touring around the country and disconnected from news and social media for the past, I don't know, six months. Yes, there is an election coming up. And that's been the big focus here recently for the advocacy and governmental affairs team at ACB, working with our state affiliates and, geez, more than 20 states Um helping them navigate the waters, um, speaking with their secretaries of state, their governor's offices, their local boards of election, determining what can be done to offer safe and effective uh, voting options, whether in person or accessible absentee alternatives. And there's been some some great successes and there's been some very frustrating situations. So we're just, we're making the most of, of what we can. And I really encourage folks to visit acb.org slash voting. And similar to how we talked about making a plan for when you are going to do mm -hmm. a, an outside outing or visit, visit a national park or national forest. We have a tool on the voting toolkit to plan your vote, make a plan for how you are going to successfully vote here this, um, geez, I, I don't want to say on November 3rd because that is election day, but that is the last day that folks can vote. And if your state and locality allows it, uh, please vote early if you can so that you are not crunched for time come November 3rd. Yeah, and on behalf of, of ACB membership, uh, you guys have done a tremendous job. Claire, yourself, peripherally, of course, Eric and Tony, uh, everyone, Sharon, Kelly, you guys have given us a wealth of information, resources to go to. It, no question goes unanswered. Oh, my God, Sharon, if you're listening, answering those phones, you are an angel. Um Tell us a little bit about what we can expect coming up on Advocacy Update. Sure. So this is uh, National Disability Employment Awareness Month. So we've got a couple conversations that will be hitting the podcast on that topic. Uh, next Thursday, it'll be a conversation with American Foundation for the Blind, uh, the CEO, Kirk Adams with the employment work that AFB is doing, as well as a survey that many ACB members participated in, the Flattening Inaccessibility Curve Survey, mm. and their recently released report with the findings from, I believe it was over 1,900 
survey, um, successful survey participants. Um, so they have some great data coming out from that. Um, and then after NDEAM, we're having conversations about digital accessibility. Now that's always a, a hot topic. We'll also take a look at what the um, uh, education landscape, how that has been impacted by the pandemic and the different e-learning platforms, whether they are accessible or not. So be sure to tune into those. And then we'll have some other podcasts uh, talking similar to the conversation here today, but with some guests from ACB Diabetics in Action talking about health and wellness and looking forward to a potential conversation with some other ACB affiliates around Veterans Day and then further into the uh, end of year and holiday season. Well, Joanne, I'll be with you in a moment. Don't think I've forgotten about you, but oh, no. I want to just touch on one more thing. Leadership Weekends, it's going to look a little different this year. Um, and some organizations may have decided, hey, you know, we're just going to have to put this aside for the year, but not ACB, not us. So can you give us a tease as to what you guys are structuring for Leadership Weekend this year? Absolutely. So in Geez, I think it was in August, the board decided that the leadership meetings will be done virtually this year. Uh, I think that was a very you know, prudent decision. And just because we will not be in person and in Washington, D.C., does not mean that we have to forego a meeting with our elected officials. They are still our elected representatives. They still serve at our pleasure. And it is still up to us to make sure that they are aware of issues that are important to ACB members. So we are uh, working not only within ACB with the Advocacy Steering Committee um, and our affiliates to plan some you know, very illustrative and educational uh, legislative programming, but we also are working to include other partner organizations uh, from the cross-disability community, and as well as other organizations that serve the blind and low vision communities. Um, so hopefully we'll have a, a couple very successful days of programming. And then uh, really, I think this provides an opportunity for our members as well as state affiliates to build relationships locally. Um, so we'll have a big emphasis this year on setting up meetings and when possible, and you know, when it's safe to do so, meeting in person at the state offices for your representatives or senators, as well as the in-district offices, because they have nice. uh, staff scattered throughout the state and the, the districts you know, those local jurisdictions as well as here in Washington, D.C. Clark, a question just came in for you, and I'm going to have to paraphrase because, of course, it's talking in my ear, but it basically asks that we are watching um, with, uh, with, with interest what's going on in the Senate at the moment, and then there is a... Okay, so they're talking about the Affordable Care Act, uh, do, mm -hmm. you, are, do you currently have any information as, okay, I'm going to have to paraphrase. What information do you have as to what's coming up to the court 
this specific challenge and where can uh, ACB members go for more information? What are we looking at as a community, um, you know, as, as this, uh, this decision comes right after the election? That is a good question. And I'll have to admit, I have not been following it that closely. Um, so there are, there's at least one um, court case focused on the constitutionality of the Affordable Care Act, um, working its way through the courts and uh, trying to keep uh, politics aside, um, whether or not the current Supreme Court nominee is confirmed, the conventional wisdom is that um, there will be a conservative majority and it will mean bad things for um, the Affordable Care Act and the current 20 million people who are uh, receiving health care coverage under the Affordable Care Act. Um, where you can go to learn more? Hmm. Uh, there are civil rights groups. Um, who would probably be well suited to provide information? You know, one of the first places that comes to mind is the the ACLU. Um, I would also check the Consortium of Citizens with Disabilities, um, and I I don't have their website addressed at the you know on the tip of my tongue. It's not we can find it and put it in the show notes. One. Yeah. yeah, I think it's like c-c-d.org something like to that effect uh, but they have a health task force and the health task force has uh, written different policy papers and sign-on letters to capitol hill some focused on the affordable care act some focused on ensuring people with disabilities still receive health care coverage um, and are not denied um, coverage due to being a person with a disability um, when hospitals are determining who to treat for COVID and uh, things to that nature. So I, I think that those could be some good resources for folks to check out if this is an issue that is important to them. Otherwise, I'd say give, shoot us an email at advocacy at acb.org and we would be happy to follow up with you on this topic. In my experience thus far with ACB, I am sure you and Claire and the rest of the team will be putting together a, a lot once we uh, once we know what this looks like. Uh, I believe it's November 10th. But one question of my own, by nature, we are considered pre having a pre-existing condition just by having a visual impairment, correct? I... I don't know. I don't want to give a wrong answer, so I will pass. Um, I would say if your visual condition is caused by uh, another form of health condition, such as diabetes or cancer, I, I could see that certainly being the case. Uh, me personally, I have uh, Leber's congenital amaurosis, a degenerative eye condition. Um, so. I, I think the answer could be different depending on the cause of your visual impairment. So I will 
depthly avoid answering your question. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for thank you for answering our member question on the spot. Um, Byron, if you have anyone uh, with their hands raised, let us know. Yep. It looks like uh, Patrick has his hand raised. Sure. Welcome to Sunday edition, Patrick and Jolyn. Don't forget, I'm coming for you and some audio description stuff in a moment. Oh, all right. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Great show. I have a, a suggestion respect to national parks and the elections coming up. I think that being in Silver Spring, right out of Washington, D.C., outside of Washington, D.C., I'm thinking of going, finding a national park, getting a tent, and spending the next six to nine months maybe <laughs> in a national park. <laughs> going off grid, huh? Navigating all of this stuff here. Uh, a couple things I want to chat about. Um, one, I, uh, Joe Lynn and Clark, great. Um, Great segment on unity. I was a rookie this past year at what's called Descriptathon 6. Made the mistake of trying to balance work with the Descriptathon and learned for Descriptathon 7 that I am not going to be able to do both of them because it is so intense. Uh, The enthusiasm is extremely high. The talent that, that of the individuals in the parks that do the writing uh, the description and the dedication of the people. It's really infectious. It is just a wonderful experience. Uh, I was, uh, I'm pleased that I got through my rookie season and they invited me back the year two. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's a great experience. There's so much to be learned from those descriptions with respect to the, uh, the national parks. Uh, I'm looking forward to when I get some time going through and looking at um, uh, at the Cape Cod seashore. I mean, I grew up along Cape Cod, spent summers there growing up, but I'm sure there's a lot I can learn. So just amazing. Uh, the other thing that I would say is that uh, in Washington, D.C., um, at the Smithsonian, the, the museum mm-hmm. have a tremendous program for describing a lot of their exhibits, the exception. Uh-huh. There's a lady there, Beth Zebart, who does a wonderful job of, of putting together programs in all of the museums for accessibility. Uh, she brings kids in, so they have um, programs in there for kids. They have programs in there for people with different types of disabilities, uh, developmental disabilities. They have programs in there for seniors who they just, they like to get you out of the house, you know, in uh, pre-COVID days anyway, and, and, and have them come to the museums and just enjoy the programs, extremely well done. So between what the Smithsonian offers as far as their own programming and what Unity and also, uh, Clark, you mentioned IRA, which um, is available all throughout the museum free of charge. It's a sort of what they call an IRS, IRA access zone. There's a ton of information uh, available that, that they have made accessible in that museum. So it's a, you know, there's a lot to take in. I, I think maybe when I retire, I'd like to start with all the museums down there and go from A to Z and go to every single museum. The, the museum yeah. down there I haven't even heard of before, but just an amazing amount of work. So it's, it's tremendous. I think, you know, as far as audio description goes, access to the museums is, um, 
and national parks is just a real benefit of that. And I, it not, it's not just TV programs and movies, but there's so much out there to experience. Um, I'm very much interested in going to the 9-11 museum when they, and, and, and seeing what they have there as far as description, because I think that would just be fascinating, very powerful, but very, very fascinating. So appreciate all the work that's being done in that area. It's, it's a lot of fun. A lot of work, but it is worthwhile. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Pat. And, you know, you raised two really great ideas, you know, to add on to the earlier challenge. Just what Pat said, let's let's start going through the museums. Maybe we can even craft some community calls around our experiences, talking back and forth about what we learned and what we enjoyed, et cetera, et cetera. But I also wanted to touch on, you mentioned Ira and we mentioned Ira earlier in the program, as well as Be My Eyes. The volunteers are on Be My Eyes are, are effusively helpful. They want to, they want to maximize your experiences, whatever the task at hand may be. But the difference with Ira is that they can pull up the websites, they can pull up maps, they can pull up any of the resources or information you need right there in your call to maximize your experience, whether you be on site or virtually exploring. So everybody out there, please send in your experiences, whether it be to acbvoices.org or a blog, uh, you can email them to me, and I will read some experiences off on the show in the coming weeks. But uh, let's challenge ourselves. Let's let's get moving. Let's get out. And you know, winter is going to set in hard soon. And before it does, let's enjoy. Let's enjoy what we can in this in this pandemic. Jill Lynn. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Go ahead, yeah, I just wanted to add that Patrick. Uh, he touched on some really great points there. Um, I had a, a similar experience with him in Descriptathon 6 that uh, it's, it was very difficult to balance a, you know, a full work day while also working collaboratively with the teams um, because you really wanted to you know, live up to the, the standards that your teammates were setting and your teammates are park service employees from all over the country. So even though I was working with the World War II Memorial team, uh, the memorial which is on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., there were Park Service staff from all over the country working at different parks. So how great is it that they are working to describe a park that they're not even a part of, but also learning what useful and helpful descriptions look like, sound like, so that they can take that back to their local park and impart yeah. that wisdom to their coworkers as well as the guests that come in. And I, I agree with Pat. It's difficult to talk about the national parks without talking about museums and the Smithsonian Institute and all the great work that they do in terms of tech um, accessibility, whether it's tactile uh, exhibits, maps. In many cases, when you're having a conversation with the um, Jolyn, what did you call them? The the accessibility folks, the like head of curation at parks uh, and museums. Not accessibility. Oh gosh, flew right out of my head. Um, yeah, chief interpretive, the chief interpretive officer. Yes. Uh, so it's the their chief. interpretive service that they develop um, tactile yeah. elements. They develop accessible. Yeah. And that's um, and that's exactly the point I wanted to raise, Jolyn. When you are asking for accessible accommodations for someone who's blind or low vision, 
there may be tactile exhibits that folks at the information desk don't even think about as being that an accommodation right, yeah. or, you know, only for someone with an accessibility. But as Pat mentioned, for example, in the, um, the new deep time um, kind of like fossil dinosaur hall oh, at the Smithsonian yeah. uh, Natural History, there are so many tactile exhibits that they have yes. out and they, you know, uh -huh. obviously outside of a pandemic where we can't touch anything, but they want you to touch it and experience mm -hmm. the size and scale and texture of a megalon, megalodon tooth or mm -hmm. a, the femur bone of a dinosaur. Exactly. Um, you know, or even a, a tactile map. Um, so that's really things to keep in mind is not only ask for what's accessible, what accommodations are in place for people with disabilities, but ask what you can touch, ask what you can feel. And yeah. And they, give feedback. Times, uh, give feedback to them. Oh, please. Yes. Please give feedback. And a lot of times the a great way to start is just by speaking to the tours office. Um, mm -hmm. I, I know when we were up in New York, uh, right before the pandemic really hit hold. Uh, one of my favorite places in the entire world is the Museum of Natural History in New York City, right outside of Central Park. And um, I mean, their their programming is incredible. In fact, you know, it, during one of their, um, I think they call it uh, touch uh, tactile touch tours. Um, we were actually in one of the dioramas, and uh, you know, of course, they have only certain objects and artifacts that you can actually touch but right there in one of the dioramas they have the curators in there explaining to you how they put these things together and the history behind etc cetera, etc cetera. so the tour offices are always a great place to start to jolene yes you, you um also work with the audio description project can you tell us what uh what's been going on with them lately and what we should be looking out for as far as new content and some stuff to uh, explore as well on that side. Um, yes, I, I came on board um, at the beginning of the, the audio description project and was asked to serve on the steering committee. So kind of uh, Patrick Sheehan, by the way, is also on that committee. Um, it is headed up by uh, Dr. Snyder and by Kim mm. Charlson yeah. and Carl Richardson. Um, underneath that steering committee reside a uh, actually a growing number of subcommittees uh, encompassing anything from media, from industry to parks. Uh, gosh, help me out here, anybody. Uh, Clark, if you can jump in. Um, I serve on the, the performing arts subcommittee right now. And uh, so my focus has been on audio description in the performing arts museums, parks, but uh, I know Pat Sheehan um, is on the 508, the Accessibility Committee for, for complying with regulations. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what the, the, uh, the most important thing would be other than increasing because of the anniversary of the CBAA, um, we've seen, you know, call for increasing them, you know, increasing amount of content in media and um, so you, you see a lot more with regard to movies, with regard to television, um, 
we need to expand audio description into our emergency um, broadcast service, you know, our, our yeah. set-top box. I do know, my, my recommendation, frankly, would be to visit the audio description project's website. Mm -hmm. it's, yep. It is now, frankly, the, the premier, the place to go internationally, not just nationally, but all things audio description. Clark, do you have... Do you have anything you want to suggest? Sure. Too, please. Sure. And I was just going to say, and what a great uh, 10th anniversary celebration of yeah, the CBAA. Yes. It was. Shout out um, to Eric and Tony week. and Kelly for you and Claire and everybody who had behind the scenes work on that. It was such, there was such great presentations. Mm -hmm. Mark Reichard, the panelists that night, and of course, that wonderful video by CB Wonder. If you haven't seen it, go to acb.org and check it out. Or... You can get a link to it off the ECB Voices blog website. But sorry, Clark, go ahead. No, oh, you just hit the nail right on the head. And I'd certainly say thank you to Senator Markey for participating as well. The principal bill sponsor back when he was in the House of Representatives in, in 2010. And Jolynn's right that the call is clear. People want more audio description. And government and our industry partners are realizing that as well. So we were thankful that AT&T, Comcast, and Verizon Media joined us for the evening industry panel and could talk about the great work that they're doing, whether that's bringing audio description to streaming services, making, um, in the case of Verizon Media, even their print and graphic media, um, say, for example, on Yahoo Finance, making that accessible so that people who are blind or low vision using screen readers can... Uh, accessibly navigate and read financial data uh, and be more independent um, you know, with, with what they want to do. The big push, I'd say, in terms of audio description and certainly the work being done by the, the media subcommittee is twofold. One, just more audio description everywhere all the time whether that's TV, film, uh, museums, theaters, just across the board. And the second is audio description for streaming services. It seems like every, yes. every day there's a new streaming service being announced and there are several uh, being launched by ACB partner and collaborators that are launching with accessible interfaces and audio description in some cases audio description available in multiple languages uh, which is really incredible to see and then for those that are launching services no, with without audio description uh, just rest assured that we are having conversations with them um, so that they understand what needs to be done to serve people with disabilities and hopefully we'll have some more news on that coming this week. No spoilers, just a teaser yeah. of what might be coming. <laughs> Anthony, I'm, Aaron, I'm just Do we have anyone else waiting to schedule Oh, I was just going to say, I'm just looking at the main uh, webpage for Audio Description Project, and there is so much there. Please, everyone, go and visit because... It, it will list uh, content for television. It has a list of what's available on streaming services, Netflix, you know, mm -hmm. others, um, 
this this celebration for the CVAA. There's a link to Stevie Wonder's message. Um, just whatever you want regarding audio description, it's up there. So I think that's your go-to place. And if nothing else, please visit that this week. Looks like uh, Patrick's hand is currently up. Yeah, yeah. let's bring Patrick back. my hand, but I raised it again. Ha! I love it. Yeah. I'll take to the a space bar or whatever, and I got my hand raised. One of the other areas, sort of tying it back into where we are with national parks and the brochures is, in audio description is the upcoming area of certification. Uh, I'm really pleased that they're looking at uh, establishing a certification criteria for audio describers, for writers, for narrators, and that whole area. I think that that is going to be fabulous. One of the things that really impressed me uh, back to the national park area was the quality of the writing that was done. Uh, the preciseness of things like um, the maps, collages, uh, some of the pictures and, and you know everything that was learned there, being able to translate that kind of quality of description to, um, to, to video, to movies, to television, being able to make sure that you've got um, people with disabilities involved in looking at to make sure that the description is accurate, I think is very valuable. So I think the certification piece uh, is going to be a valuable product coming out of the audio description project. I know from a federal government side, and I'm trying to do this with, within the federal government and it is very slow in the government, you don't have the same, you don't have any quality uh, as far as description is concerned. I mean, it's not bad description or good description or whatever because you don't have anything to measure it by. So I think that that is uh, a real good product coming out of audio description. You can use that whether it's in film or whether it's going to be in at the parks or whether it's going to be, you know, um, in, in other areas that where you can have a description. I think that's important um, to be moving forward. I'm, I'm kind of glad I'm not on that um, subcommittee, that group. I can imagine a two-year project to establish certification could be kind of dry, but I'll be pleased. <laughs> Patrick, it's Jolyn. It's, it's it actually not, <laughs> it's not too dry. Um, it's not I'm, dry? No, I'm on the advisory uh, part oh, well, of that committee, just, but, but, but no, it's fine. <laughs> but just, just very quickly, mm -hmm. Dr. Snyder has indicated we're about a year and a half out before mm -hmm. that's completely set with, with the standards and mm -hmm. testing, but, but the progress is ongoing, you know, it's, Good. it's moving and, and I was saying the process was dry and any of the people involved in the process. Just <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Patrick, can you, can you talk with us a little bit more about the role of um, the Section 508 of the Rehabilitation Act and audio description provided by the federal government? I can, yeah. Oh, it, is pretty, it is kind of ad hoc right now. It is very hard, particularly in the um, FY21, which we're in, to get federal agencies to be, um, to be uh, spending a lot of money on, on audio description. However, the um, uh, 508 regulations are very specific about what is expected. Particularly, they have uh, combined for media the, um, captioning, uh, closed caption, of course, and audio description. They talk about what it is, when it's needed, 
how to do it. They don't really talk too much about, um, they don't talk too much about uh, equality and, and, and how it can get done. And I think the uh, Roy Samuelson speech that he gave at the banquet really gave you a good step-by-step primer on how to get that done. We have seen it a lot in a lot of the multimedia that uh, we put out as far as uh, e-learning training in that area. Uh, we've also seen a lot more description. Uh, I believe it's called inclusive narration. Um, when it comes to a lot of the COVID um, videos that are coming out, particularly yeah. Department of That's Veterans Affairs, where I am, where they are explaining how to put on the gloves and they're, you know, and take off gloves, wearing of masks, and sort of a step-by-step process. So I'm saying that we have uh, some good products in there. Uh, it's, you know, depending upon the group that you're working with, they do their best. Some of it's ad hoc. So it's very good to have the regulations. Uh, we just need to have um, people leaning on us to make sure we get it done. I'm not saying that that should happen from the <clears throat> ACB advocacy group, because I certainly would hate to be leaned on, but I think that federal government does... Uh, <laughs> Does, uh, <laughs> does uh, get motivated when there's pressure on certain agencies, but I would say that we'd want to probably look at HHS and some of those other agencies. But anyway, just kidding on. Mm-hmm. But uh, so it's well designed. It's not well executed. It's it's funded in an ad hoc basis. Uh, I would say few of the agencies that are doing a good job. Of course, National Park Service is is great. I mean, they're the poster child. Uh, CDC has done an excellent job. HHS yeah. a very good job on some of the stuff they're doing. I've seen some very good work coming out of the Department of Education uh, and also Social Security Administration. So, and others still have work to be done, but it's, uh, you know, that's the area that, that I'm focused on as far as the federal government goes. Thank you. So it is almost that time, Byron. I'm going to ask if there's anyone else before I ask JoLynn and Clark for any final thoughts. Pat, thank you so much for joining us, by the way. You're welcome. Thank you, Pat. And I don't currently see anyone else with their hands up. I just put Patrick's hands down. So um, other than that, I think we're good. All right, JoLynn, I'll start with you. Thank you so much for taking some time on a Sunday to join Sunday Edition. Any uh, final thoughts you want to leave? with the listeners today? I am going to follow up on your suggestion uh, to our members to go outside today, explore the app, but listen, smell, taste, and just enjoy. I love that, thank you. Clark, I wanna thank you very much and please pass on an effusive thanks to Greta for uh, genuinely, uh, genuinely allowing us to borrow you on uh, a beautiful Sunday to impart our listeners with all this great information. Any final thoughts, Clark? Oh, it was my pleasure, Anthony. Thanks for, thanks for having me and letting me participate, especially with Joe Lynn. And thank you, Joe Lynn, for all the work you do with audio thank description you, project, as well as uni description. And I know I just thanked Joe Lynn and now I feel like I want to scold her for stealing 
my part my parting words. No, no, no. <laughs> I can't I can't Clark, echo you will them always enough. have something lovely and articulate to say. Yeah. Thank you. And I miss you. I miss seeing you. So I'll I hope we can all meet soon. Yes. I miss uh we miss having you pop by the office every now and again and your cookie deliveries. Oh, there, there um, but, may be one coming during the holidays via <laughs> mail. So. In, a, in addition to what Jolyn said, yes, folks, please take Anthony up on his his challenge. Um, find those parks and special outdoor places near you, and you know, immerse yourself in them. And even if it's just a, a tree in your local courtyard, um, get out there and had you know soak in all there is to experience and if you're looking for more pull up the uni description app or the website of your favorite national park and see what you're able to explore even from your home or your own backyard awesome thank you so much guys this is sunday edition i'm going to take just the briefest of breaks and i will be back with the fabulous artist base in byron Take us out through promo. Thanks, guys. Do you remember BPI? Oh, yeah. Blind LGBT Pride International. They're a special interest affiliate of ACB. Yes, they are the ones doing all these cool things at convention. Guess what they're up to now? Do tell. Their own show. It's called Pride Connection. That's great, but what if I'm not a part of the LGBT community? This is a show for everyone. Actually, non-LGBT and non-disabled folks are known as allies, and they are a huge portion of BPI's membership. Everyone is welcome. So what kinds of topics can I expect from Pride Connection? Fun and relevant topics for everyone, from blindness to LGBT education, technology to advocacy. So when will Pride Connection take place? Every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Be sure to tune in so we can all connect and learn while having fun. Pride Connection on On ACB ACB Radio Mainstream. Hey, welcome back to Sunday Edition. So I just want to say one more time thanks to JoLynn, Clark, and of course to Pat for calling in. Please take me up on my challenge and hit us up with uh, some of your impressions of the uni and the parks around your areas. I am now joined by a name that if you are new to ACB or you've been around ACB for a long time, you've at least heard and hopefully you've interacted with because she is an incredibly lovely person. Welcome to Sunday Night Basin. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for joining us. There is so much that we could cover, but I think I'm going to kind of go backwards today. Um, Just this past week, we heard, um, and if some of us listened in on our various devices to the board meeting, we heard about convention this year. And um, I want to ask you, you had, uh, you know, you have your finger in the membership pie. What do you think we gained from this year's virtual convention as far as membership is concerned? And are you looking forward to 2021 virtual? And let's hope it has another cool name like Path to the Future. (laughs) I thought this year was a great way to get people outside of the organizations involved in the convention. Also, a lot of our members 
do not have the funding to be able to go to an in-person convention. So this was a great way to get them into our world. I found it extremely motivating to see the number of interactions, the extra people that even came to some of the membership focus calls before the convention, where we you know, outlined all the different ways that people could access the convention. So people were really excited because they could invite people that they knew wouldn't be able to normally attend. And of course, we've all noticed the number of community groups that have opened up because of all the community calls. And a lot of that has stemmed from the convention. They learned things at the convention and wanted to learn more. So the affiliates have really stepped up and had more openings for people to see what they do. So, and the committees too, several of the committees have also started some community calls. So a lot of things came out of that convention and I'm expecting the, the same will come true with next year's convention. The so hardest thing is not seeing people. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You know, that, that hug in the hallway or the let's just go grab something quick to eat and catch up. And yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned the member focus calls, and I definitely want to take a little bit of time to talk about those. Um, you put together some great presentations, uh, awesome topics. I want to, I want to, again, go backwards. What have you learned from some of the calls? What, what surprised you in the calls that you've taken you know, and adopted into your general focus? Just how many people are really interested in a variety of topics and the expressions of, oh, I, I'm not even sure what the word is. Um, the expression of being us being open to talk to anyone and have anyone participate. And just the number of opportunities people have to learn more things. And I just really always appreciate people when they come into uh, different calls. I think one of the things that some people hesitate about is they feel, well, I don't know if I will know anybody when I participate? And is it for me or not for me? And I've noticed that a lot of people, you know, come into the calls and even if they may not say anything, you do, do see the participation level is getting better. So to, you know, to be completely um, transparent to the listeners, the calls that we're discussing aren't the community calls that Cindy's doing. These are membership focused calls that artists does for the affiliate presidents. And I think anyone is welcome, right? Artists, if they want to help generate membership for their affiliates or states, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. And they are listed on the community call list. They're, they're listed on there now. Um, originally they were just sent out to like the president's uh, list, the leadership list, the membership list, et cetera. And then it was up to each affiliate to forward it on to, you know, anyone they thought might be interested in attending. But now they're also added to the weekly schedule. So that should involve more people too, because anyone can access those. 
So when Cindy came on, you know, in her position, the pandemic hadn't happened yet and community calls were happening. They weren't called community calls at that point and they weren't nearly, they were just affiliates that were out there having chats and presenting programming and so on and so forth. Just curious, you know, from your membership perspective, as the pandemic started and we went into April and then May, and by the time convention rolled around, we were looking at 50, 60 calls per week. What what kind of thoughts went through your head as as you saw this um, organic program? Um, and I hate to call it a program, this organic community, excuse me, growing and and becoming such a such a life force for a lot of people in our um, visually impaired community? Well, I think it helped members feel more empowered. They could get more information more often and feel that they were actually a part of the organization. Because through the years, one of the things I've heard from people as membership chair is, well, why should we be part of ACB National? We have our local chapters, that's enough. We have our state affiliate, that's enough. And they didn't understand the connectivity. And even though I would try to explain to them that advocacy at the national level is very important because if you want certain things done in Congress, you have to have a national um, way of getting to those particular senators, legislators, et cetera. And I think by having the community calls, now we have more connectivity between the you know, local, state, national, et cetera. So that I think has been the, the biggest benefit. Now people really do see the advantage of being part of it all versus just being part of the local. Do you have a, a favorite call or two that you um, really enjoy attending? <clears throat> Well, I don't know. I've tended so many. It's hard to, <laughs> it is hard to pick one or two. Yeah, a particular call because I've um, really enjoyed all of them because sometimes even if you only have a few people on a call, sometimes you can even connect with a member or feel like you've learned something about a member that you didn't know before. Or sometimes if you have a lot of people on a call, then you really don't. Uh, get a way to connect to an individual person as much. And I do think now like the membership committee, we've kind of changed our calls a little bit. We used to, it used to be more of like an open discussion where we would invite people to come on to the focus call and we would have a topic and then we would just ask the callers to let us know their tips and tricks or, or comments on that particular topic. And now um, during the last year, we've done more as a you know, presentation style. So we're gonna talk about a topic, but we're actually gonna have some people address that topic. And then the extra time, you know, there's time left for people to make comments, on, tell their own tips, et cetera, and to participate. So we have changed that a little bit because we wanna make sure that people are, um, definitely learning things. I mean, not that they didn't anyway. I mean, I always wrote up articles afterwards expressing all the <laughs> yeah. tips and tricks and that was, you know, helpful. But some people listen more, uh, oh, I don't know, they just pay more attention if there's more presentation style versus 
a discussion because if you just have a totally discussion, you know, you do get a few <laughs> uh, people coming on and just not knowing what they're talking about or, or saying something out in left field. So this way it does make sure that you're getting those tips out there as well as, you know, allowing people their voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love to highlight things that are wonderful. And, and one of the things that you do is give everybody an opportunity to express their perspective. You give everybody a chance to, to participate, which is awesome. So, you know, from the membership, thank you from that standpoint. Um, I want to I want to ask two questions that are kind of buzzworthy in ACB right now. And um, I'll start with students and next gen. Um, you do a fair amount of work with them. What are some of the things that you're, you're saying to them to inspire them to take more of a low, you know, more of a leadership role in ACB? Well, I think we need to constantly remember, we have to concentrate on all age groups, not just, one group or another. And that was why on the last focus call we did in August, uh, we did it on including everyone. And so we did ask participation from the ACB student group as well as the next gen group, as you know, as well as the uh, Pride Connection folks and the older members group. And I think one of the things that I thought was really fantastic was um, NextGen's, the way they're, you know, trying to include everybody by trying to have them sign up for a particular activity in their affiliate and learning more about each individual person. Now, all affiliates should do that, but I just thought the way they put it right in their application, I thought that was just a, a stellar idea. And I'd like to hear a new people's ideas and the fact that they're younger, obviously they're looking at things that perhaps others have looked at in the past, but just don't remember to do. And you know, it's, it's good to hear that younger voice in there. And I always like to encourage the young people to become part of ACB. And I've worked for years with the California blind students groups, and I was an advisor for a number of years with the, um, ACB students. Uh, and I think it's just so important to keep those young people involved. And it's hard because, you know, obviously a lot of them are in school or they're just starting a career. And I think by encouraging them and involving them and asking them to participate is going to make them feel like they're welcomed into ACB. So my next question to you is kind of twofold. Um, affectionately kind of titled the old guard, those members, those ACB members that have been here through it all, years and years of advocacy and participation and just love for the organization. How do you, how do you try to invigorate the, the spark for them to, to reach out and mentor some of the younger members or to include the ideas. And like you just said, things might've been tried in the past that maybe the world has shifted or with, you know, some fresh eyes and ears and fire in the belly, you know, some ideas that may not have worked in the past may be reinvigorated and, and repurposed and, and reworked. How do you, how do you address those things? That's a good question. Because sometimes people, as they get older, they felt like, oh, they only want young people involved. Why should I stay involved? It's time for me to back away. 
I always tell people there's a, a place for everyone. And there might be some groups you may choose to back away from and not be as involved in. Let the younger people move forward and, and do the leading. But there are always some groups that are going to need more volunteers. I'm active in you know several affiliates and, and nonprofits, even outside of ACB. And so I keep myself busy in all of them. And some of them, I just step back and don't do as much. I let other people you know, do the work. So you kind of have to fit into where you feel comfortable. And if you feel that there's adequate people working in that group, then step back and let them work. And then just offer to mentor them. Okay, I, I have a suggestion for you. And of course, I'm not a pushy person. I like to work with people and collaborate with people. So I try to, if I see something, I try to, well, have you thought about this? Or what do you think of this? And if they want to use my idea, that's fine. And if they don't, that's fine. But I think older ACB members should try to mentor and help other people. But they don't have to tell them what to do and push their idea. If they have another idea that they want to work for, well, then let them try it. If it doesn't work, then maybe they'll come back to you and say, hey, maybe I would like, you know, help in this area. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, they've earned their stripes. So, you know, if you, if you get that, if you get that person, I've been president, I've been committee member, I've been to multiple um, leadership weekends, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's time for me to just sit back and let them do the work. God bless. That's, that's an absolutely valid point. But, you know, the, that wealth of experience, if you've still got a fire in your belly, bring it to the committee meetings, bring it to the special interest affiliates, bring it to the state affiliates you know, and, and let us, let us hear your experiences. There's, there's a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of, of experience in this organization that we can all benefit from. I'm curious to know what is the top three things that you suggest to affiliates to gain and maintain their membership? Connection is number one. You have to connect to everyone in some way and not everybody is on the computer so you have to find multiple ways of connecting either have your affiliate if you have chapters have phone trees have an email list for those on the computer um, lot, multiple ways to connect and obviously the president of the affiliate or the chapter, whatever, they may not have the time, but that's where you ask for volunteers in the organization to make calls to people that don't come to meetings that are on the membership role, but you don't see get involved very much. Have people willing to call them and contact them. So connection is number one. Communication um, also is, you know, like in newsletters, um, social media, as many ways that you can communicate what your affiliate is all about so that you reach new people. And that's very important. And it's how you communicate. Make sure that you're open and list lots of opportunities for people to get involved so that they, they get that communication that says you're 
wanting to spread the advocacy of your organization and the how-tos. You know, you don't want to just tell people you can only join us if you're willing to advocate. Some people just want to learn, so you need to share those. And probably the third thing is to not focus on the numbers, but focus on just reaching anyone. And I think one of the one of the communities we don't reach out enough to are the newly blind. And I know sometimes it's hard to find them, but um, in normal times, not right now, obviously, um, you know, urge your chapter members and your affiliates to reach out to senior centers, as that's where you're going to find a lot of the newly blind people. As well as, you know, schools, you know, reach out to your schools and colleges, and a lot of people are mainstreamed. So it's, it's not always easy to find those newly blind people, but just keep being out there. And of course, being on social media, having a good website with up-to-date information, um, any of those kind of ways to, you know, just reach out to new communities. So there is definitely still a strong fire in your belly. You're definitely a force to be reckoned with for ACB. Um, you know, in preparation for the show, I went back to your website. I had looked at it a few months ago, and I, and I remember thinking to myself, I have to have her on soon. And Sunday after Sunday goes by, and there are topics and things going on. And, <laughs> but I went back to the website and and really looked at, at your story. And I'm wondering if, you know, if you could give us the book jacket version of, you know, artists, artists at a glance, and how you got to ACB, and how you got to, you know, the point where you're leading these calls and and helping the organization at large grow our membership and retain our membership, which is important. Okay. Well, I lost my sight when I was 20 in a car accident. And I did have some experience meeting blind people because we did have a, a, a blind gentleman in my church. And uh, so uh, my family, we had gone to his home, him and his wife they invited us over have coffee after church and so I you know met him and I also had an elderly aunt that was blind and I guess when you know I met them I you know noticed that they could do you know a lot of different things I mean the one read my aunt read braille and and um, of course her son lived with her so you know I knew she had assistance etc but that was <clears throat> basically you know, pretty much all my experience with, you know, blindness. So when I lost my sight, the, when I was in the hospital, I got uh, a rehab person came out to talk to me and, and told me, you know, that once I'd been home for a while, I could join, go to a rehab center and then learn what I could do, you know, in the future. So uh, <clears throat> I, I was fortunate in that I, I guess I never felt this deep um, depression, you know, like a lot of people feel when they lose their sight, they're depressed, they can't do anything for a while. Um, when I lost my sight, I immediately thought, okay, well, how can I learn to adjust? And yeah. probably one of the things that helped me was my youngest sister was killed in a car accident like seven months before my accident. So I knew how upset my parents were. And 
I knew that they were just really, you know, concerned. And so I think that probably my motivation was, hey, I'm going to show mom and dad that this isn't a big deal. I can deal with it. I'll be fine. And I think I was so much more focused on that, that I didn't do, you know, not that I didn't have bad days. Well, okay, I can't remember a phone number I wanted to call. And I had to get the phone number two or three times at first, you know, before I learned Braille and all that things. Not that I don't have frustrating days even today, but I think uh, my motivation to please my parents and show them that, you know, I was fine. That, you know, helped me along the way. As far as uh, meeting ACB, uh, I lost my sight when I was living in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And there, the... um, uh, Lion Sight Center is where I did rehab. Uh, many of them were uh, members of the American Council of the Blind through the South Dakota Association um, for the Blind. So uh, one of the um, um, persons there invited me to go to South Dakota Association for the Blind Convention. Now at that time, <clears throat> they didn't have any chapters. They just <clears> had <throat> the state affiliate. So I went to a couple of those conventions. And then when I, while I was in rehab, I had to decide what I wanted to do for the future. And they were originally trying to push me into going to college, but I'd been out of school for a couple of years when I lost my sight. So at the time I wasn't interested in college. So the Randolph Shepherd program looked good to me. So I went through training in Cleveland, Ohio, because South Dakota didn't have its own training program, and then started um, managing food service facility the uh, following year. And while I was in that, I met um, uh, one ACB member that had been a member for a while, Don Brush, um, and we became really close friends. So I was, you know, she you know, told me all about ACB. And, and of course, um, another longtime member, Almond, oh gosh, I can't remember his first name, Dale Almond. I, I don't know, I can't remember his first name. <clears throat> of course, he's passed away a number of years ago, but um, they were, you know, told me all about ACB. Now I did move to back to Iowa. I grew up in Iowa, got back to Iowa. And then when I moved back to Iowa and Des Moines to get into the Rounder Shepherd program, they didn't have an ACB chapter. So there was like three years that I became part of NFB. And then they, um, when I was at a food service location in Dubuque, Iowa, then they decided to kick out um, uh, John Taylor and Sylvester Nimmers, who is, a, you know, Sylvester Nimmers was a longtime vendor in Iowa. And when they kicked them out, well, then I went with them to have a separate organization of the blind, the uh, Iowa uh, Council, or, or no, the United Blind of Iowa. Well, then once the uh, <clears throat> they became part of it, then I met uh, Derwood McDaniel came out to Iowa and and uh, talked to us about 
coming to ACB. And then we came to ACB in uh, 1984. So I've been a member of ACB since then. So it's uh, been an interesting journey. And then of course, I was inspired by Derwood to, you know, get involved in RSVA and then, and uh, then I think I was um, encouraged when I went to a leadership seminar, Iowa had sent me to the leadership uh, seminars. The first one I went to, it was when I was the affiliated leadership league. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was the first one I went to. And uh, then uh, Brian Charlson talked to me after I attended a couple of them. And he said, have you ever considered, you know, a running for the ACB board? And of course, I thought, hey, I'm just, you know, from Iowa. I'm not, you know, <laughs> you know, and and he talked me into considering it. So in uh, 1992, then I ran for the um, ACB board and was on the ACB board for uh, 14 years. I was on the board for a number of years, and then I was treasurer for four years. So. So, and I stayed active. I uh, yeah was invited to be the membership chairperson in 2006. I can't believe it's uh, been that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I've kept my pot and my hand in the pot, so to speak. <laughs> and we are glad you have. If you don't mind, um telling us a little bit about you personally, I'd love to start with, I, I love the name artists. Does it come from anything specific? Well, <clears throat> well, actually I was supposed to be Ari Peter Jr. Oh, <laughs> but, <Surprise. laughs> but since I couldn't be, well, they called me artists, uh, which is you know, a little bit similar to Ari, but, uh, unusual name but it is uh, kind of a probably Dutch I I'm Dutch my main name was Keel and my uh, I was one of six I was the oldest child so I was born in northwest Iowa about 30 miles from Sioux Falls South Dakota beautiful you um you, you worked in um the Randall Shep uh, Shepherd arena for a very long time. What, um, what are some of the things that you would tell the younger generation that's interested in getting into that program? What, what made it special for you? What made it, you know, worth sticking with? Okay. <clears throat> well, before I lost my sight, I had been a bookkeeper receptionist and then I worked for newspapers, proof dispatcher. And I, always liked bookkeeping and so forth, but I always always enjoyed cooking too and meeting people. So when I heard about the Randolph Shepherd program and the opportunities for uh, managing a food service business as a blind person, I just thought, okay, that kind of melds all three of the things, you know, that I really enjoy. So I decided to do the, the training for the Randolph Shepherd program. And what I would tell any young person when they're looking at a possible career is keep your eyes open 
and think about all the different choices out there. I mean, you can go to college, and I always urge everyone to uh, consider college. But, you know, college doesn't always work for everyone. And even though it's helpful uh, for someone going into the Randolph Shepard program, it is helpful to take some courses and, and get an AA or even a BA in a business or whatever. That would help you definitely into getting into the Randolph Shepard program, but it's not necessary. Each state has its own rules and regulations, and some do require some courses um, at community college level. Some have their own courses that they wish you to take, and it's kind of wide open. Uh, some have training that lasts for four months. Some have training that lasts for a year. So each state program is different. And that's probably one of the um, disadvantages of the Randolph Shepherd program is if you go through the training program and you get into uh, managing a food service facility in that to move to another state, let's say your spouse gets a job in another state, or um, you don't think your state has that many opportunities, then if you move to another state, you might have to go through a lot more training again. Some make you retire, start from scratch and just do the whole thing. Other ones, you can take a test and test out and just take the courses that they feel that you need more experience in. So each state is a little bit different. But one of the advantages of the Randolph Shepherd program is that they accept you as a blind person. Whereas most other jobs that you apply for, even if you have all the necessary training, skills, education, et cetera, you may not get it just because that boss, those doing the interviews might not feel that you're competent to get that job. One of the reasons that I moved away from the food service management program is that I decided that some aspects of the food service um, I wasn't that crazy about. You know, I could fix and repair vending machines, et cetera, but it really wasn't something I enjoyed doing. I liked the management side more. So I went back to college, got my BAs in speech communications and public relations, and then my master's in teaching because I really wanted to do more of the training side. I enjoyed training new vendors when I was a vendor training people into the program. And I enjoyed helping people to um, move their business forward. So I thought if I got my college degree and master's, then I could be paid for <laughs> doing some of the things that <laughs> I, I was doing before that. And that's how I started my current business. <clears throat> I started it when I was in Iowa, um, just a few months before I moved to California, because I happened to meet this guy, you know, in California. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I could have pursued the program in, in California, but I would have had to start basically from scratch and start at the lowest, you know, type of facility, et cetera. So... <laughs> So you love working and developing people. It, that, that's apparent just talking with you and, and listening to some of the calls. 
public speaking and and being in a crowd in our community is hard enough but how do you coach people through having to you know be the public focus in meetings or you know in job seeking areas or even you know once you've gotten a job leading teams or whatever in predominantly cited situations i tell people the best thing to do is be open to all situations and be out there when i go to a networking event like at the burbank chamber of commerce or when i go to other networking groups you can't be shy and i tend to be a little bit on the shy order i know people can't believe that but i'm one of these people i you know kind of step in and i'll look around and just kind of play it safe for a little while and then when i hear people talking then i'll just walk up to them wait for a break in the conversation and introduce myself and ask them about you know their business or their you know what they're you know up to etc so you can't be shy you got to be open and willing to meet people and that's how i got into business network international it's another organization that i joined to get more referrals is i met a person at a networking event and he told me about it and i visited and i felt welcomed and one thing one thing good for a blind person you know once you get out there and show people that you know you're just like everyone else pretty soon they lose the fact that you're blind they they don't even think about it and you have to of course remind them because people will send me documents that are scanned and I'll say ah, I'm sorry I can't read that yeah. <laughs> make sure yeah. you send it in a word file or whatever so you're constantly reminding people that you're just like they are but you need to have a different you have different access needs and that's one of the things that I have to constantly work at when I'm with sighted groups because they don't always understand what is accessible and what's not accessible so it's it's what got me involved in uh, like democracy live the uh, accessible voting is because i was always talking to people about access you know and and uh so you know if you tell people about access well then you hear about other things well hey this you know somebody like this checked out etc and i'm more than welcome um more than willing to look at people's websites and say hey this works for me this doesn't work for me I'm not an accessibility expert. I can't tell you how to fix it, but I can tell you what a blind person needs and why this doesn't work. So, I think that's you know, and I guess that's why I have, you know, clients in different um areas of life, you know. I I a lot of my coaching clients is it's a wide range of of um businesses etc because I'm very eclectic. I enjoy helping people and I like working with people, helping them set goals and helping them to learn how to market their business better. And that's why I joined Ivy because independent visually impaired entrepreneurs is another entrepreneurial experience. And if Randolph Shepard isn't for a young person, then perhaps being an entrepreneur in another area would be something that they might feel more comfortable doing 
because, you know, Randolph Shepard, it is um, work intensive, you know, it's labor intensive. And if you don't feel comfortable doing that, then you're not going to be a good manager. So you have to kind of know your skills. And if anyone wants to talk to me, you know, offline and ask me questions about the program, uh, uh, the benefits of it, it's a good career. And most states have excellent programs. And obviously you have to go to your state rehabilitation agency to find out more about the specifics in your particular state. But there's other, lots of other entrepreneurial opportunities out there too. This has been an awesome conversation and we are almost out of time. So instead of going question by question, I'm gonna throw it to you artists. Tell us five really interesting, awesome things that we might not have known about you by interacting with you in the various ACB capacity, you know, membership and, and the other capacities you're involved in. Wow, um, I'm also very active in my church. I have been doing a, a ministry with my church for, um, oh gosh, probably 12, 13 years, a ministry with young women that are in a, a prison facility. Um, we go Beautiful. every month and visit them and do, uh, bring snacks and we do an activity with them, either crafts or, or games, et cetera. And that's, I've loved doing that. And I'm on session in my church to help leadership make decisions, which has been difficult right now, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, I guess that's one area a lot of people might not know. I have two children, uh, two yes. daughters. One lives in Denver or near Denver, Westminster. And the other one lives in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. Wow. And I have three grandchildren. One's attending the University of Iowa. She lives in Cedar Rapids, and which is where I moved from when I moved to California. And then my other two grandchildren, of course, are in, in uh, Colorado. They're uh, four and seven. So. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> and I miss them. I, can't, I haven't seen them since January. So. <laughs> I guess we all know the first place you're going as soon as you feel comfortable <laughs> enough to travel. <laughs> yeah, we do FaceTime. We do FaceTime. <laughs> Are you a foodie? I enjoy food. I enjoy food. We go out generally um, at least a couple times a week. And have, you know, deliveries, of course, but they do allow eating outside here. So we sometimes go out with um, my husband's sister, who is um, one of his sisters lives right here in Burbank. So we went out with dinner with her last night. And, and I enjoy doing different types of restaurants. Kind of and I enjoy cooking, too. But, you know, it's, it's harder to cook for two than it you know, was when I had my family all yeah. together. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely feel that. So last question, all-time favorite book and piece of music. Oh, mercy. Music, I would say, How Great Thou Art is my uh, favorite. Dixie song. Carter singing it is my favorite. Go ahead. Yeah, that, <laughs> uh, yeah that's, that's probably my favorite song. And then as far as uh, movie, oh, gosh, I've seen so many good ones that uh, I'm trying to think which one. Hmm. 
I like the one about the, I like, you know, the ones that are kind of talk about history. You know, I'm a big um, history buff. So I did like the Mary Queen of Scots, although it was depressing. But <clears throat> I also really liked the, um, the one about um, the, oh gosh, I can't think of her name. Oh, Harriet Tubman. Oh, that was, yeah. That was Great. an excellent movie. That's probably one of my favorites. And 12 Years a Slave, but that one also was sad. Yeah. Yeah. So, artists, spell out your website for everybody. Sure. It's, um, well, I actually have two, uh, but my, the one with the most information is bazincommunications.com, and that's B A Z Y N communications.com. And then also artistsbazin.com, A R D I S B A Z Y N.com. That one's a little bit more mobile friendly. All right. I want to thank you so much. I want to say thank you again to JoLynn, Bailey Page, and Clark Rockfell for coming on and giving me another amazing Sunday edition. I hope everybody out there enjoyed it, and I'll be back next week. Artists, thank you so, so much. I hope you have a great, beautiful, blessed Sunday. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. You've been listening to Sunday Edition with Anthony on ACB Radio Mainstream. For more information, questions, comments, feedback, suggestions, etc., please email celebrationac, that's the word celebration, with the letters ac at aol.com. Look forward to hearing from you, and let's brunch again next Sunday.